awesome plaque. Okay, I got a couple announcements before James comes up here. Uh, if you are somebody or have a kid who's going in from sixth into seventh grade, uh, they're going to have a little, you know, promotion. So that's why I need a mic here and not here. A little promotion party for them. So there's a sign-up sheet on the back table. And if you have a kid that you want us to call, invite, we'll connect them with some other kids and get them moving up a little bit better, then let us know that. Sign up. We'll give them a call and all that stuff. Uh, second thing is this. We're going to have what's called a Super Snack Sunday <laughs> for kids. Sorry. Hey, I gave you guys Otter Pops last week, so just be happy. All right. Uh, Snooper Snack Sunday, the, the kids' little cupboard is getting bare. So if you guys have any of these things and want to go out and grab some of this, on the 20th, September 20th, we're going to come in. We're going to give all this stuff to the children's ministry so that they can have these foods to hand out or something else that's very healthy. Okay? Yeah. So you can bring something that's healthy. I'll bring you some lettuce or, or something. I don't know. <laughs> Beef jerky. I hear that's always healthy for kids. Yeah. Uh, you can also, if you want to, bring some cookies and just put my name on it. Okay? So that, that, that'd be really cool. I'd, I'd, I'd really like that. Uh, and, and lastly is this. Uh, Christy uh, wants you. She's going to kill me when she sees that. I just think it's, I think it's really funny. But... There, there, some kids went off to college that are working in the children's ministry, and they need some new people to help out. And so if you would, are interested in being involved in children's ministry, we do do background checks. You know, So if you're like a weirdo and you've got like a police record, don't even worry about talking to her, okay? <laughs> because you'll be like, sorry, we can't use you. But if you're not a weirdo and, and you like kids in a non-creepy way, we would love for you to help out in the children's ministry. All right? So uh, there'll be a little sign-up thing in the back. You can talk to Christy. We'd love to have you guys help out. Uh, you know, working with kids is an amazing thing, and you'll be blessed simply because you do it. Now, I told you this a few weeks ago that we are doing this series on spiritual warfare. This is the last week, and I told you that James was going to come up and finish this all off. So it's going to be awesome. James works with our youth here, so give me a hand. Um, I have a couple announcements also. Uh, the youth needs a ping pong table. And when I say a ping pong table, I mean two ping pong tables. Uh, someone hopefully is going to donate one from last service. They said that they have one that they'd like to donate. Whether they will or not is up in the air. So if you have a ping pong table that's not broken, because our last one that we got was kind of broken and actually... Uh, it kind of didn't help when we moved the ping pong table. Uh, my friend put it in the back of his truck and then took a corner really fast and kind of slid out on his truck. And uh, we called it ping pong drifting. Um, but he did that, and so that didn't help the ping pong table. And part of it is part of it was falling off. It was a safety hazard to little kids. I mean, some little kid could have run by, got twacked in the head with this thing. So it's not in our room anymore. Actually, last week, because we wanted to play ping pong so bad, we took white, two white folding tables, put them next to each other, strung a net between them, and played ping pong on that, which failed miserably, but was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you have a ping pong table or know someone who has a ping pong table that's in fairly good condition and you know feel like giving it away, we'd love to take it off your hands. Uh, uh, also, on the September 17th, which is the third Thursday, um, the youth meets Thursday, and but this Thursday, every third Thursday, uh, we try and give out food. We eat together, kind of as a family. We set up these tables. But this week, we're going to go to the beach. Uh, so we're going to meet at 5 here, hopefully leave shortly after 5. So if you are going to come, please show up on time. I do not want to be waiting until 5.45 
and then leave. Because we will not. We are leaving at at least 5.30. I will not wait any longer than 5.30. Um, so if you show up at 5.31, too bad. Either walk to the beach or walk home. Uh, that was brutal. Um, <laughs> but that's just how I feel. I've waited too long for students. Uh, and then we'll be back by 9. It is a school night, but your students are up till 9 anyway. So, uh, yeah. We, I do try and make it a big thing to be back on time because I don't want to waste your time and have you sitting in a parking lot for 15 minutes waiting for your student to come back. So I do make it uh, a big effort to be back on time. I think the latest we've been is like five minutes late, so 9.05. So please don't keep me waiting. I won't keep you waiting. Awesome. Uh, but if you want to go, there are sign-ups in the back. If you want to bring a friend, tell me you're bringing a friend. There's a little thing. How many friends are you bringing? One, two, five. I need to know so I can get seats for your friends. Awesome. Those are my only announcements. All right. Will you guys stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You guys pray with me. God, I pray that we would be strong. I pray that we would be strong in you and that we would rely on, on your mighty power. Um, God, we thank you for showing us how to fight and showing us how to equip ourselves to fight a good fight, to fight on your side. And I pray that we would be people who would have a longing to fight with you because your victory has already been won. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the last couple of weeks we have been going through a thing on spiritual warfare. If you've been here, you know. If you haven't been here, you're all caught up. I'll catch you up right now. Um, Aaron, three weeks ago, talked about the belt of truth, and the belt of truth holds the whole outfit together. That Everything kind of revolves around truth. And, and then we talked about the righteousness of God, and, and that keeps us from being hypocrites, that keeps us from being self-righteous or self-centered. And then uh, Eric talked about the good news of peace, peace with God, peace within our souls. And then he talked about faith also, how faith is a large shield that's our protection, that is so we can stand and protect ourselves. Um, so we talked about truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and now salvation. Ephesians 6.17, take the helmet of salvation. And when I think of salvation, I, I read this story about this woman named Kathy. And Kathy loves babies. She loves kids. Now, most women love babies, but Kathy had eight kids and had no intention of stopping at eight. So her and her husband got pregnant again with their ninth child, which that is a lot of kids. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know why she wanted so many, but her husband must be bringing in the dough because if you can afford eight kids, you got to have some kind of money. Uh, and, and so Kathy... Uh, her husband come ho comes home one night, and, and Kathy is bawling in the bathroom. And, and in the story, uh, kind of got kind of graphic, and I don't want to get that graphic because it's just you know it's just weird. But there was blood in some places and things like that. And uh, Kathy had a miscarriage with this baby, and, and she said this: God has under God has answered my prayers and has given me His grace. He has shown me that I didn't lose our baby. I know exactly where she is. 
even after something this tragic, even something as tragic as a miscarriage. Because of Kathy's salvation, her head is still in, her head is still in the right place. Because of her salvation, she knows that God is good, and she knows that God loves her and her unborn baby. Kathy and her eight other kids all say that there are nine of them, that there are nine kids, that one of their sisters just isn't with them, that she has realized any of them, just not with them. Now, this is what I, I believe brings Paul to say. Salvation brings Paul to say, Christ will, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippians 3.21 Kathy's family knows this as absolute truth that Christ transforms lowly bodies into heavenly bodies. Salvation blunts the blow of doubt so that we still believe that in circumstances we can still have faith in God. Um, the coolest part about this story, I thought, was what Kathy named her baby. Her husband comes home and she's holding... Kathy's baby's name is Grace. She said, the baby's name is Grace. And he goes, okay, not going to fight it. And she goes, he has given me his grace. Salvation is linked with a helmet because salvation protects our perspective. A breastplate, like we talked about last week, but it protects your heart and protects your bowels. A helmet protects your head so that we can keep our perspective. Right? If you ride a motorcycle, if you ride a motorcycle, you know you always wear a helmet. Or, or if you're really cool, you ride a scooter. Still, you always wear a helmet. Right? And, and you don't want anything to happen. You pray nothing happens. You pray someone doesn't swerve into you because they don't see you. Or you pray that Santa Maria doesn't dig a drainage ditch and you fall into the drainage ditch and flip over your handlebars and get wheeled away in an ambulance, which actually happened to a good friend of mine. Uh, you, you pray these things don't happen, but they could. You don't know. So you wear a helmet so that you can still think as good as you could before your accident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> salvation also, uh, salvation makes it so that we can view things in a heavenly perspective. That we can start to view things as God views things. Um, our culture wants to make death a friend. We want to make death our buddy for some reason. Right, and so we dress our kids up like death at Halloween, and we make death this character who dresses black and has this cool, sharp object with him. We make TV shows about death, and you know, we're like, Ooh, who can play death? Let's take some cute, likable, lovable characters, and they'll all play death and call it a comedy. We, as a culture, want to make death a friend. But death is not some cute, lovable character. Death is not our buddy. In fact, death is just the opposite. Philip Yancey says this, Christian faith does not offer us a peaceful way to come to terms with death. No, it offers instead a way to overcome death. Christ stands for life, and his resurrection should give convincing proof that Christ is not satisfied with any cycle of life that ends in death. He will go to any extent. He did go to any extent to break that cycle. Salvation is so we can view things 
as God does. And salvation also blunts the blow of disappointment. Disappointments build up over time. It happens. We sinned. Disappointment comes. The loss of a loved one. Someone who you know or you are diagnosed with cancer. Some people live in constant pain, whether that be physical pain, emotional pain, family pain. And it brings us all to this question, why God? Why me? Why is this happening in my life? Why did you curse me with this? There's a whole 33 chapters in your Bible devoted to this guy named Job. Eric actually talked about Job last week. And this whole book is about Job's cry, why? Why God? And Job, in the book of Job, God never answers Job why. He comes to Job. And Job can't ask his question. Job can't stand in the presence of God and say, why me? He's just so speechless. And God never answers him. And I think he never answers him because Job simply wouldn't understand. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, hots, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It, it, here's how I see it. I see it as trying to explain molecular geometry to your hamster, okay? You could break it down as much as you want. You could break it down to two plus two, which isn't geometry, but whatever. Um, it's still math. It's all the same. Uh, um, <laughs> and, and your hamster still will not understand. But, but Job understands one thing, and Job understands what he needs to understand. Job understands that God loves him, that God still cares for him, even after all these tragic things happen to Job. God still loves him. And that is what salvation does for us. That through salvation, we can understand that God still loves us. Salvation is so that we can trust, so that we can understand. And so we've talked about truth and righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. And now, Scripture. Ephesians six seventeen. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when we read this, we and this whole spiritual warfare thing, we like to think that there's this huge battle happening. And no doubt there's this battle happening. But we like to think the greatest battle is happening right now. It's happening today over you and over me. We like to think that we are the center. We are the cause of this great of the greatest spiritual battle which yeah there's a battle going on but I mean don't give yourself that much credit to say that we are the cause of this great battle we're not that great but one of the greatest battles that did take place took place over 2000 years ago and took place between Satan and in Jesus which actually uh, Eric talked about this a little bit last week too how Jesus was wandering in the desert for 40 days right fasting not eating anything Jesus was tired, Jesus was hungry, Jesus was probably sunburnt being 40 days in the desert with no sunscreen. He wasn't having a great day. Physically, not that great. And so Satan comes to him, and he says this, Matthew 4, 3, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan shows up to Jesus, and he says, I know you're hungry. I know you want something to eat. Why don't you just turn one of these rocks into a hamburger and indulge? Doesn't work. And so Satan takes him somewhere else. Satan takes him to the highest point of a temple. It says this, 
This is Matthew 4, 6. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He goes, you claim to be Jesus? You claim to be all-powerful? Show me something cool. Why don't you do something miraculous? Throw yourself off this building and let's see your angels. He goes, oh, that's a big step, you know. That doesn't work either. And, and so, in desperation, Satan's last stand takes him to a summit of a mountain. He says this, Matthew 4, 9. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Which instantaneously, I think, Jesus would be thinking, you know, well, that's funny because I made all this. All this is mine, but whatever. And in all this, Jesus does the same thing. Jesus could have just shown his power, defeated Satan right there, no contest. But he does something different. He sets an example for us. And these three things, Jesus quotes scripture. Even when Satan tries to quote scripture and takes it out of context, Jesus goes, let me put it back into context for you. Let me give you my perspective on it, the way I wrote it. And he quotes scripture much like we should do. Now, for some reason, when I, when I read this story, um, I think of Chuck Norris. I don't know why I think of Chuck Norris. Out of all the like bulky dudes who could kick my butt, I think of Chuck Norris. And I think of Chuck Norris having a bad day, right? He's tired. Something happened. You know, he's been making infomercials all day on his new machine. And I'm like, you know, I really want to... That's what he does now. He doesn't make movies. He just makes infomercials. Uh, and for some reason, I think people buy it. I don't understand. Uh, but I'm like, I want to fight. So I show up to Chuck Norris. All right, Chuck Norris, let's go. And Chuck Norris is like, who are you? And I attack Chuck Norris. Whatever happens, this is going to end up bad. Okay? I'm going to get roundhouse kicked to the face, end up on the ground crying. Because even on a bad day for Chuck Norris, he could still kick my butt, no contest. That's just how I viewed this story. <laughs> and... and but for some reason, uh, we read this, and we read about the, the uh, spiritual warfare and the armor that we have to put on, and we like to think that we can fight Satan. We like to think that we don't need God, that we have our strength, and that we can do it, that I can beat Satan by myself. And, and it doesn't make any sense, because Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows what you struggle with. He knows what I struggles with, struggle with. And, and not only that, he's good at putting it right in front of your face. He's good at putting your weakness right there. And if we don't spend time in Scripture, chances are Satan knows Scripture better than us. He quoted it to Jesus. We have to get to know Scripture. And the Scripture is linked with a sword. God gave it its blade. Right? Um, William Gurnall says this, Throughout the ages, the sword has been the most necessary part of a soldier's equipment. It has been used more than any other weapon. A soldier without his sword is ridiculous. He says, we do not become a threat to Satan until we are armed with God's armor, until we pick up God's sword. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says this, let it never be said that God recorded truths in his word that you may not have read. We have to get to know Scripture. And, and not only do we have to get to know Scripture for fighting, but also for blocking. Now, uh, if you've ever been in a sword fight or kind of messed around with, you know, like foam swords or plastic swords or something, you know a, a tiny bit about sword fighting. And you know that you use a sword also for blocking. If someone is swinging a sword at your face 
and you can't get your shield up there fast enough, you use your sword because you want to keep your face. <laughs> Most people do. Um, and, and so you put up there. And there are tons of ways that we block with the scripture. People are constantly spreading lies about scripture. Well, you know, there's contradictions. Really? Like, well, look at the Bible, how it was written. Look at it in its context. Then tell me there's a contradiction. Oh, 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 I didn't look at it like that. You know, oh, well, it's out of date. Again, let's see how. How to love. You know, how to have a lasting friendship. The way we should interact with other people. How to have a good sex life once you're married. These are all things that are very relevant in our daily life today. Well, the last one's not very relevant in my life, but one day it will be. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there are tons of tools that we could talk about to, to help us better understand the scripture. And we'll talk about a few, um, but I want to put this out there before we get into those. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We have not received the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Because if you are a believer, you have been given a new spirit. You now have a new understanding, and you are called to something different. You are called to a higher standard. Do not expect a non-believer who has not been given that spirit to keep the same law that you do. Do not expect a non-believer to understand the Bible in the way you do. You've been given a new spirit. So the tool one. First tool we got to understand is, is we must understand the scripture in its grammar. Now, you don't have to know Greek or you don't have to know Hebrew to understand it. But part of this is looking at it, looking further than just face value. It's part of it is looking at the Bible literally, what it is meant to mean, not literally what it actually says. The Bible is full of metaphors. Hopefully you know this, but if not... The Bible is full of metaphors, just like our daily life is full of metaphors, right? When someone says, I'm going to run to the store, doesn't mean, oh yeah, I'll put on my Nikes and my sweatpants and I'll run with you. It does not mean that. Glad you think I'm funny. Um, <laughs> in the same way, when Jesus says, I am the door, he doesn't mean, I am made of wood. Or, or when he says, gouge out your eye if it causes you to sin. Now, if he really actually meant gouge out your eye, most of the guys in this room would not have two eyes. <laughs> Girls, I don't know. Um, but what he is saying is take sin seriously. It is a serious issue that you must deal with, that we must deal with together. And, and people have gone through something like we've gone through. They've gone through uh, spiritual warfare. And they've got to the sword of the Spirit. And they've been, oh, cool, the Bible is a sword. What does that mean? It means that I can swing it around like a crazy person and give demons lethal paper cuts. <laughs> no, that's, that's not what it means. But just to run with that for a second, I mean, if that's actually what it meant, I mean, I would have probably killed lots of demons because at youth group, the way I pass out Bibles is I chuck them at students. Right? I'm not like, oh, here your Bible, pass it down. I'm like, wham, wake up. And so it's like a ninja star, right? Just flying through the air, tons of paper flying everywhere. It'd be awesome. And, and again, if that was the case, 
I mean, imagine if someone brought like a King James version of the Bible to church and they're like, check it out, I got this new King James leather bound. Pretty sweet, huh? Like, yeah, I guess. Um, you know, it's not very easy to read, kind of hard. You can take some time, but, you know, really powerful. It's kind of like a claymore, right? That's what Braveheart would have used. It's like, <laughs> okay. Or you're like, oh, check it out, I got the message. Like, okay, really easy to go through, super easy to read. Not super powerful, kind of like a foil, like a fencing sword, you know. You can do lots of cool tricks with it, but let's face it, you're not killing anyone with it. Or I got the NIV or the ESV, you know, plus five speed, plus five power, right? It's like a katana, right? Weapon of choice right there. It's just, it's just ridiculous, right? We have to look at it, literally, what it's actually meaning, not word for word. Tool two is to view Christianity historically. Luke 1, 1 through 4 says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seems good also to me to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theopolis, that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. We have to understand the Bible and its culture and its customs from its historical point of view. And to know the Bible from a historical point of view means we know what it's actually saying, which means it keeps us from being carried away by some crazy person who can write an entertaining story who has no idea what they're actually talking about which is what we'll actually look at next week. It's going to be really cool because it totally bashes Da Vinci Code and how that guy's crazy. Um, tool three is this, to seek scriptural harmony. Passages must harmonize with each other. Scripture fits together as a whole. Yeah, things can be interpreted differently, and yeah, they can be interpreted out of context and wrongly, but we have to know Scripture so that we know what harmonizes as a whole. Uh, my friend and I always joke around about this, how you know someone could be quoting scripture and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's in you know Obadiah verse 21. And you're like, Obadiah, that's a book? I never read that before. It's so that we know how scripture fits together as a whole. If we claim to follow Christ, we have to know what he says. Tool four is to memorize scripture. Once we start memorizing scripture, then we always have it on us. And if you're someone who has a hard time remembering someone's name five minutes after they told you, this is going to take some work. But like Aaron said before, your mind is a muscle. You, you work at it. You have to work it. And, and when you keep working it, it gets stronger. And you can remember. And you can remember more. And you can remember people's names and verses and where they are. Once we start to remember, then we always have it on us. Tool five uh, actually helps us Remember scripture is to meditate on scripture. Now, not meditating in a way like a Buddhist would do it, where you sit under a tree for, you know, until something magical happens, and then 45 minutes later you get up because you're hungry. Meditating, that was rude, um, meditating in a way where you think about it. You're constantly thinking about what you read. N now that you have this verse, now that you've read this, what God has wrote, how will this now change your life? That is meditating. Meditating doesn't have to be something where, where, you walk, where you go away and you're alone for 45 minutes. Meditating can be at your work. Meditating can when be 
when you're driving in your car. Meditating can be when you're sitting there on the computer thinking about what you're going to do. You're constantly thinking about it. Matthew 4.4 4 says this, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Ephesians 1.19.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. We have to rely on Scripture like it was food. We have to hide it in our hearts so that we know it. And knowing it doesn't mean reading it all the way through in a year. Knowing it, it could be more beneficial for you to read a chapter, to read half a chapter, to read a couple verses, and to get to know those verses and know how to apply them to your life rather than sitting and reading Psalms in one sitting. We have to know it. And there are tons of tools that we could talk about. And if you have more questions or you're like, that's not enough tools for me, I want more, um, see an elder, see me, see Aaron. We'll, we'll hook you up with a few more or kind of say how you know, these could play out in, in your daily life. But I will say this, that we should be constantly reading. We should be constantly learning about God because there is no end. There is no, I, can, I know everything there is to know about God. If you did, you would be God. And none of us are God. And so it's not like I'm going to read, I'm not going to read outside of church because then I won't learn anything when I come to church. Constantly be reading. Constantly be getting to know His Word. So the sword of the Spirit is so we can fight. And if you've read ahead and you've kind of caught on that we're talking in Ephesians 6 and you read verse 18, you know that Paul now talks about prayer. So truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, scripture, and lastly, prayer. Ephesians 6.18 And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Excuse me. Oh. Now, I'm sure that you know this, but communication is key. Communication in any relationship makes that relationship grow. Without communication, you don't really have a relationship. And that is what prayer is. Prayer is communication with God. Aaron showed me this quote, and I just thought that it was amazing. Um, Prayer is not part of the armor. Prayer is what the armor is woven together with. Through communication with God, that is what keeps the armor together. So we have to talk to God. But, But not only talk to God, but let Him talk to us listening to him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a one-sided conversation, but a lot of the times our prayer life looks like a one-sided conversation. I want this, and I need this, and I need to win the lotto, and I want a new car, and I want a boyfriend, or I want a girlfriend, or I want my kid to stop being an idiot, or I need all these different things. Now, on a one-sided conversation, you kind of start tuning it out. Now, you're like, all right, this person's talking. I kind of forgot what they're saying. You know, would this conversation change much if I wasn't here? What am I going to do for lunch? And you don't really care anymore. We need to have conversations with God. Uh, John 10.27 says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. If we are His children, we need to know His voice. We need to take time and get to know it and learn to love it. And to get to know His voice sometimes means shutting ours. C.S. Lewis says this, I do not pray to change God. Praying to change God is probably one of the stupidest things we could do. 
because we're not going to change his will. His will is perfect. He is perfect. Therefore, his will is perfect. Why are we trying to change something that is perfect? And to get God to change his will would be trying to get God to sin. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love people. Those are, the, those are his commandments that he wrote in his book to us. But he also follows those two commandments in that order. We do not pray to change God. Um, not even Jesus prayed to change God. Luke 22.42 says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. God, I'm not excited to go to the cross. This doesn't sound like a great time for me to get beat, to get whipped, to get tortured, to get stripped down butt naked, to get spit on, to get cursed at publicly, and then strung up on a cross. Doesn't sound like a great time. Yet not my will, but your will be done. But I understand that this is your will. I understand that you will make good come out of this. I understand that this is what needs to be done because this is what you are calling me to do. And so he goes through with it. We do not pray to change God. We pray to change us. Another thing that prayer does is prayer helps us understand his word. Now, before we're saved, we kind of read the Bible in two different ways. We read it like a textbook, like a history book, right? And if you read a history book, you kind of have to read it multiple times to get the gist of what it's saying. You're still not entirely sure because it's just so boring. You're like, don't care, don't care, don't care. What did I just read? Don't care, don't care. And that is how we read it. Or we read it in a way where it's like someone else's old email. Like, oh, this person really cared for this person. Or, oh, that's cool. Has nothing to do with me. But through prayer, the scriptures become alive. The scriptures become more of a love letter that's written to you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten a love letter before, but they're really cool. Uh, Haley will write me love letters sometimes, and I like it. Uh, And you read a love letter different than you would any other piece of literature. You read it, and then you read it again, and then you smell it to see if it smells nice. And if it does, it's really cool. If not, you move on. Um, But you keep coming back, not because you have to remember it, but because you care what that person has to say. And eventually, you kind of end up memorizing it because you just care so much in what is in this letter. That is how the Word of God becomes alive to us. To have a good prayer life, to have a good relationship with God, means investing time. And not just, God, I need this, God, I need this, but investing quality time with Him, talking with Him, walking with Him. How drastically would our entire spiritual life change, which in turn affects our entire life, if we prayed with him, if we walked with him, actually talked with him, tell him how cool he is, and then brought our request to him. The, the key to spiritual warfare is not waving your Bible around like a crazy person. It's not reading it from cover to cover in six months. The key to spiritual warfare is truth, is righteousness, is peace, faith, salvation, and prayer. All these things are grounded in the person of Christ. And to understand, we must be grounded in Him. So now, four weeks later, talking about eight verses, that's two verses a week, go. 
Go and fight. Go fight like you were called to fight. Go live like you were called to live. Because through his salvation, through his armor, we can live in his grace. And we can live in his life. You know, the uh, armor of God is one of the reasons that we come to communion every week. It's because every week we need forgiveness. Because every week we mess up and we do something stupid and we take pieces of the armor off. And so we come and we break the cracker, which is representative of his body, and we dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which represents his blood. And we say, God, I need forgiveness. God says, I know you do, and I have forgiveness to give you. The band's going to come back up and play. And every week, we sing songs of his grace. Every week, we sing songs of his salvation. We sing songs of his victory. Because he has won the victory for us. And he welcomes us to his side. Sorry. Um, We also worship God through giving. There are offering boxes in the side and in the back of the room. And and we give to God because he's given so much to us. Uh, We worship God through prayer. Um, If you have questions about this, if you don't understand it, if you're like, I've been coming for the last couple weeks, or today's my first week and I have no idea what you're talking about, there'll be elders and deacons in the back. They'll be more than happy to talk to you, to pray with you. And if you feel like you've been fighting in this battle and every week you just keep getting your butt kicked, pray with them. They'd love to talk to you, love to pray with you. And lastly, we worship God through fellowship. And we hang out in the lounge and we go out to eat with each other and we celebrate in God's glory. We celebrate his victory because he has won and invited us to his team. Um, I'm going to pray and then, yeah. All right, pray with me. Uh, God, we, we thank you. We, we thank you for inviting us. We thank you for, for choosing us even though we are not worthy. God, I pray that you would dress us in your armor, that we would be those who want to follow you, those who want to wear your armor, those who, even though we take it off, long to come back to our first love. We we thank you for writing us a love letter, God. Turn us into people who cherish those words. God, be with us this week as we go out and live for you as we go out and we fight. In Jesus' name, amen.